Hi, and a warm welcome to all of you. Glad you could join our podcast. My name is Kate Pohl, and I'm head of bank and corporate sales at TraxPay. My partner is Stephen Batiste, the CTO of TIS. Today, we are very pleased to be talking to Frank Riemsbecker, digital strategist, board member, senior advisor, mentor, and former senior MD of Accenture. And I don't want to ask you what you did in your spare time, because I'm assuming there was none. <laughs> but I know you have a lovely family, so we'll get there. So first of all, Frank, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. And I'd like to begin by asking you to tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get here? How did you get to Accenture? What, was, what were your thoughts? <laughs> hey, Kate, great to be with um, your podcast today. Um, and that's exciting. Yes. And uh, how did I get to Accenture? You know, I was grown up, or I, I grew up on the border to Switzerland and France. Let's start there. Um, and I started in the mid 80s, I started to study, actually, early 80s, started to study computer science, which was a new thing back then. Uh -huh. um, more, than, more than 40, probably 40 years ago, huh? And um, that was I'll great. Never tell, I'll never tell if you don't. <laughs> you know, I studied in the Black Forest, actually, in Furtwangen, and I got a scholarship to, two scholarships to study in the U.S. as a student, okay. which uh, was quite interesting because they were obviously a bit further ahead than the German uh, computer science um, wow. landscape. Okay. Then yeah. after completing my studies, I started to work as an assistant to the CEO. Wait, you've got to tell me where in the U.S. as half American. Ah, that was in Boston. Yeah. Um, I was doing an internship um, at Texas Instruments, which was a big computer manufacturer back then. Yeah, of course. And, um, you know, Boston was the land of Wang and Deco, Deck Digital Equipment, you know, brands long gone. And the second one, I was doing um, an internship with Ford. Okay. In wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In Michigan. Cool. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Sorry to break your train of thought, but I thought. Not at all. <laughs> but computer science started to work for a smaller consulting company um, two years after my studies. And then I wanted to work for international, bit, a bit larger company. Here we go. I joined Arthur Anderson. <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> and. Uh, so there you were, uh, and 30, 32, 33 years later, you decided to um, do something else. Um, so how and why did that come about? Well, that, you know, the, the time at Accenture was absolutely amazing, I have to say, you know, and let me start why I joined, um, which is basically, um, that was a time before the internet, there was a huge ad in the Frankfurter Allgemeine, you know, and the Frankfurter Allgemeine was basically five kilos and three kilos full of ads for jobs, right? right. And um, Arthur Anderson, which then became Anderson Consulting, Arthur Anderson said, we are building a digital trading platform for the German options and futures platform. Mm -hmm. First in the country, all electronic stock trading and uh, or a derivatives trading, that's how it started. And we're looking for computer scientists to help us build the platform. And he said, hey, I want to join that. 
That's and exciting. It was an amazing digital transformation program. You know, before that, you had the traders on the floor yelling at each other, right? Changing the slips. And suddenly you sit on, on, a, on a screen and you do the thing distributed as an electronic platform business. And I said, hey, I want to be part of that. Okay, fair enough. So what were some of your favorite or maybe the most proud moments that you had at Accenture? I, I think, you know, the, the go-lives of this big digital transformations. And the first go-live was the opening of uh, the electronic um, trading platform for options and futures. I remember the date. It was Gen January 26, 1990. You know, big opening party. Um, 50 traders only, but anyway, it was live and uh, many other um, go live followed. We built um, management systems, platforms for international train systems, airline systems, more banking systems, life science systems. And it was always exciting to see the products we designed and implemented um, go live and being operated. It was, it was a good moment. Fair enough. What what about the low points? Anything that stands out of something you, you know, you, maybe you'd rather I saw forget. The question. <laughs> and you know, I none come to mind, and and probably there have been some, but probably I pushed them away. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> You are the optimist. The glass is always half Yeah, full, and, right? and I really mean it that way. You know, there's always difficult stuff. You work too long. Not everybody's happy. People quit. The da da da. Oh, but at the end of the day, um, it's nothing was catastrophic in these over thirty years. It's like the circle of life, right? I mean, it just uh... yeah. It's you know there were uh, you know colleagues died in accidents, so. Things which are not good, or we got stuff wrong with our client projects, you know them all, right? But nothing was really catastrophic enough to change the course. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And the rest kind of comes and goes, and yeah, circle of life. Okay. You know, one of the things I was going to ask you, I think you partially answered it, but just to make sure, you know, the whole idea of getting involved in really what we call today, talk about digitalization and true innovation. Um, when did you really get involved in that and why? Was it right from the beginning or was that a little bit later on? Well, it was actually right from the beginning. Not that I understood really what I would get into, but you know that first project for the German Options and Future Stock Exchange was a true digital transformation. You create a digital product which didn't exist before. You replace a legacy product with that. And it changes the way people work, the industry functions, mm -hmm. the speed. And, and that was quite amazing. You know, this is now 30 years ago, but we, it's still relevant. The technology has changed a lot, yeah. but the underlying principle of transformation is, is still valid. So, and I like are, that a lot. Why are banks having such trouble today, you know, becoming more digital or really transforming themselves? I mean, what you were describing seems 
perfectly clear and not easy perhaps, but perfectly logical and it happened, but why are we struggling so much? Well, um, that's, that's, an, that's an, you know, an interesting thought. Let me go to the meta level before I get into the banking scene. <laughs> but you know, the meta level, the way I see it is our industry is about understanding technology. And what we did at Arthur Anderson, Anderson Consulting, eventually we became Accenture. You know, what we are doing is we are we creating a huge, or we have created a huge ecosystem of technology partners. And everyone knows the big ones, you know, SAP in our country, obviously, the Microsoft, the Google, the Amazons, the Oracle, ServiceNow, um, Salesforce, you know, and we are partnering with them and we are helping them to, many of them, we are helping to think through the next generation of technology and we are working in their labs. So we, we really understand the technology coming, one. Secondly, then we work with our largest clients around the world to test out how the new technology can be applied. And then it's all about value generation. Bring it to life, transfer the innovation and scale it so new value is generated. And that is the overarching mantra of our industry. Technology drives it. It's all about transfer and scale. And once you work, you know, we work for the largest 2,000 companies around the world. And now in that lies a bit what I have observed over the many years, the answer to your question. You know, it's not necessarily an industry sector, which is behind. Well, some are slower and some are faster, but there are differences between companies and their operating models to understand the new technology, transfer it into operations and scale it in a way that it creates new value. And if you look at the, some of the banks in the US, which are basically having very similar business models. I think they have been very stringent in the way they have approached the, to harvest the benefit of what the technology allows. They have avoided divergence. You know, so there's always a, a set of variations, but <laughs> overall they have been more stringent. They have um, scaled faster, Trans made more use of it, allowed less deviations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And obviously, um, you know, they're scaling, they're scaling the stuff which works well and which is money-making. If you look at some of our banks in Europe, same business model, um, more functional organization. You know, the bank has three variations of the same thing. Um, doesn't have the same scale, doesn't have the same speed. And suddenly you see that your competition is playing with the same technology, but it's just getting much more value out of it. And we have yeah. seen that in banking around the world, but in some other industries too. And what you're really describing is this less discipline. Yeah, it's, 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 discipline is an aspect, but it's really the whole operating model, how a company okay. works. And do you think in banking, though, particularly, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that I've pondered on was whether the whole regulatory piece, of course, put banking at a slight disadvantage or a large disadvantage uh, against certain other industries in terms of perhaps speed or, yeah. 
Well, banking is one of the most regulated industries. And, Absolutely. That's and therefore, I think the regulation in Europe, to be fair, is it's yet more onerous. And you not just more difficult, harder to comply, right. takes out speed yes. um, than, than some other parts of the world. Um, I don't want to say what's wrong or right, but at the end of the day, mm -hmm. the, the the business performance of the banking sector mm -hmm. is not at the same level than the business performance of the banking sector in the US and in Asia. Yeah. And that is something we have to think through. Right. No, fair enough. I'm, I'm not trying to do a finger pointing exercise, more just sort of understanding the elements. So thank you very much for that. I'd like now to go to your book. Not only are you a man of the world who has done so much, but you're also an author. I think that's so exciting. So can you tell us a little bit about Neuswagen? Uh, how did you decide to write it? How long did it take? Did you collaborate? Uh, is it the first of many? Let me. Let this is actually know. the second we have published. Oh, okay. So yeah. tell me about it. Yeah, well, I have to tell you how we got to write books, right? Yes. Um, if you look at the digital brands in Germany, there are not many which are world famous. Actually, there are very few. You can count them on less than one hand or the fingers on one hand, right? But there's clearly SAP. Start S there. S SAP is at the top of my list. And there's a second one. It's called Industry 4.0. Okay. And, and um, you know, that's, that was my entry into, into eventually writing books. But the former, the former um, CEO of SAP, which is Henning Kagerman, okay. after he, he left SAP, he basically said, I want to do something for the competitiveness of our industry in our country in Germany. And he joined as a president, the architect, the architect is the Academy of German Engineering. Mm -hmm. And he and Professor Walster, which is, for many years, he was the head of the German Institute for Artificial Intelligence. Mm -hmm. They contemplated the core of Industry 4.0. And Industry 4.0 is basically nothing else on how can you use digital technologies to make our manufacturing industries more competitive. Right. And, and um, that is a brand, you know, which is not a product, but a brand, a, a school of thought, which has become world famous. Yes. Um, in all the manufacturing countries in the world. And Germany has, has basically gained thought leadership in that space. Mm -hmm. And I, Henning Kagerman eventually asked me and said, you know, we had a discussion on stage um, right after Industry 4.0 was published. And I said, this will not be good enough to save the country. If we add digital technologies to our manufacturing, um, this is what's needed, but we have to really rethink all our products as software and platforms. Think about the Tesla car. It has been rethought as a software and a, a platform business. Some say, you know, the typical iPhones on wheels, but there is, there is something to that. <laughs> and he basically, said, Frank, this is interesting. Let's do a research project. What would happen if we would rethink all our German products, that means all our global products, basically, as software systems? And if it's not about the product, but it's about the product and services which are operated for outcomes. 
So not okay. selling the product is a business model, but selling the combination of the product, the services which are used to operate the product, and the promise against an outcome. I give you an easy one to understand, very hard to do. We don't sell trains anymore. We only sell trains which are punctual. Product um, and service okay. and outcome. Okay. You don't sell an x-ray anymore. You sell the best therapy for the diagnosed disease in the x-ray yeah. based yeah. on a fleet yeah. of, a, of a million cases. Yeah. And suddenly yeah. that yeah. requires that you take the x-ray machine, you rethink the product as a combination of hardware, software, data, um, analyzed cases for healing, artificial recommendations, and you all bundle that up and say, you want an x-ray, that's five euros. If you want an x-ray, there's a recommendation for your faster healing, that's 10 euros. Guess what people will do, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's an easy and, one. <laughs> and um, that is, so I started to lead that research project for a few years. It's called Smart Service Belt. Um, together with 150 companies in the country and Henny Kagerman and Walster. And the book, or we wrote two books, is basically our learning. The, the, the books, um, Svenja Falk, Svenja is a professor and she leads research for Accenture in Europe. Mm -hmm. So Svenja and, and I have written these books to basically summarize our learnings from this research project, but as well from our work at clients to think through what is what could be the service future of the German or the global manufacturing industry and how has one to, how could we think about the future of industry if we would rethink all our products as intelligence with services and outcomes and uh, so it's not about the book it's about kind of a, an idea of what could happen and um, after it takes roughly 12 to 18 months to you know do a batch then you publish basically a frozen version. <laughs> so that was, that was our first book. It's called Defending Champion. Mm -hmm. And after 18 months, because the technology moves so fast, you're so much smarter, right? You write the next big chapter. <laughs> and, and we may do a third one. <laughs> now, that was, of course, the last question. Okay, well, it's fascinating. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay, uh, one of the things, as I was mentioning to you, that we try to do in Digital Dump is really demystify tech because there are a lot of people that hear these terms, but they're not really clear what they are. So we try to make it easier for people to understand. So, but anyway, in this case, I'd like to ask your view on what are the, what would you say are the three key technologies that will both bring significant benefits and change in the near or medium term future? Well, the, the cloud was a game changer. And it's still being deployed. We are, we are early days. And I, I tell you why I think that is a game changer. It is not about replacing hardware and storage. That, that is interesting and probably there's a business case for it. Also one has to look once in a while very sharp to find it. That is not, that is not what it is. If you think what's, 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 if you look what's happening in the German industry, the cloud is an oligopole, you know, it's three or four or five big players. 
And the German industry at the moment is moving 10% of its digital, call it inventory. Mm -hmm. I would, and the inventory, which is really interesting, is not the storage or the compute power. The inventory, which is interesting, is applications, application logic, process flows, data, rules, how you process the data going through the process flows. It used, it, the German industry is moving 10% of the inventory into three or four, call them cloud environments, which are all mm -hmm. interconnected. Mm -hmm. If you do that for five or six years in a row, we, I think we're on year three now, you have 50 or 60% of the whole estate, all data, all processes, all logics interconnected in the same space. That will allow us to optimize everything in a way which has not been conceivable before. And that is basically the, the promise, for me, the promise of the cloud. You what can create new optimizations which are unthinkable today. Um, totally agree. What about the vulnerability that that presents when everything's together in one place? Over-centralization can always be attacked easier, right? So cybersecurity, cybercrime is, is the big thing. Mm -hmm. um, flank, yeah. You know, un, un, unlimited control, you know, transparency, um, which is basically um, allows to optimize much more, but allows to control much more. So all the things come with side effects. You are absolutely right. Um, but then I would say, it's an opportunity to solve the big problems of the world. Think about the CO2 footprint. Um, you know, if you really want to rethink coal systems, um, how energy is used in products and recycled to make, to make a massive impact for the better of the world, you need these big rooms to find new ways of optimization because the incremental on the small things, it, it will be way too slow and way too little to really mm -hmm. make a recognizable impact. Totally and therefore better. I say, um, I see the opportunity in sustainability. I see the opportunity in health. I see the opportunity in safety and the environment, in the mobility and many areas which are really crucial to our high standards of living, at least in our parts of the world, mm -hmm. um, which can be optimized for the better. But as you say, rightfully, it can be misused as well. And um, if we are not getting the downside under control, it will fail. Understood. Okay, any other points you wanna make? That was one. You're, oh, allowed, the cloud. You're, alla you're allowed three, yes. So we have the, <laughs> the cloud. cloud. Uh, the cloud is one. The next one, I, you know, it's not about the one technology. It's everything coming together in the bundle. But the next big thing is probably Web3, which is the democratization of the internet. You know, we always talk about um, the internet as a, as a place for everyone and it's federal and it is federal. and But... Kate, in reality, I live in the internet because I have an account on Facebook or I have an account on Instagram or I'm an Amazon client, but I'm not frank 
out of my own rights. I'm frank because I'm registered as and my identity with one or many of these platforms. And I think Web3 technologies will, will bring a shift in power that we as individuals have our own presence, which will be not disconnected, but decoupled from the large platforms. And that is a huge power shift. And that's decentralized identities, decentralized applications, finance, the da-da-da, you all can name them, but it could be a game changer basically. Um, and I call that the democratization of the internet where, you know, you, what we want in Europe, obviously, we, we don't want always that big platform scale. We want all the benefits, but we, want, we don't want to have the downsides. And uh, the does? new Web3 technologies are a chance for rethinking how the internet is constructed um, and basically have more control and more federated control and how data and information is used for my own benefit or for everybody's own benefit. So I think that is that will be a huge game changer. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the metaverse, <laughs> that is a precursor of very early precursor of what it could be. So the cloud, the Web3 technologies are quite interesting. And then, um, you know, I think the banking, your territory, the, the ability to create digital assets, non-fungible tokens, new ways of payment. So you can create digital wealth, which becomes a tradable item, could be, a, again, uh, a huge game changer. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with the, uh, so, uh, with the ah, I can't even say it now, the central bank digital currencies and how they're going to be mm -hmm. used. And, you know, there's so many questions. I've done so many, so many readings and points on that, but for another time. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is really uh, sort of how AI, and I know, I've been to programs at Accenture and I know we've talked about it, but I'm fascinated by how AI and machine learning, et cetera, how will that change the jobs that we have? How is it going to change the future of work? Um, what is your opinion on that subject? Early days. Um, so what we have seen already is, you know, uh, shared services. Um, so you start pooling the work of, of um, many people into the same teams, right? So then once you do that, you, you standardize and automate the data flows, right? Then you start adding big artificial intelligence algorithms and that's already all in swing and it, it brings huge benefits. Um, obviously automating work, which is quite repetitive. Um, that is something we have achieved. What we are now working on is the whole space of autonomous systems. The self-driving car is obviously um, a good example, but there are many of the warehouses, you know, systems which basically um, function in an intelligent way, in a, in a yeah. much more autonomous way. Um, and that is, that is early days, but it's coming in the next decade. And obviously that will change a lot of jobs. Um, and then the third one, 
the next level above that is for me the industrial metaverse. And the way I think about the industrial metaverse, you know, maybe I'm going on a really spacey. Um, I think eventually the world, the whole world will see a digital twin of every square meter, square feet, square inch of the world. And once you have that, I don't disagree you with basically... you, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm looking forward to it. Well, it exists already. You know, if, if, if you go, um, you can log on. We have this closed city, Frankfurt. Go on, log on to the geo portal of Frankfurt. Every square meter is there, digital with attributes, you know, what's on that space, how is it used. It's only the beginning. Eventually, you will have the digital twin of the land, the house, the machine, the materials flowing through. And um, and that is a metaverse. That's exactly the, the exactly. concept of a metaverse. And yeah. I know. what you will see is digital twin plus simulation plus action-oriented AI being operated by a fleet of artificial intelligence algorithms, which interact constantly. And it's being piloted already in some of the most modern um, smart places, very intelligent factories, you know, dangerous environments, um, nu nuclear waste, blah, blah. But give it 10 or 15 years, we're gonna see that as the, as the real world will be will be planned and, and basically instructions for execution for the real world will come out of the digital twin. And uh, I think that's probably 10, 20 years out, but you can see it already on the horizon. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I'm just not sure I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I think George Orwell, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> A little George Orwell, yeah. I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for it yet. So we'll, we'll have to come back to that in another podcast. Um, the pandemic, no podcast would be complete without at least mentioning it. You know, we don't have to talk about the pain and suffering that everybody has felt. So that that's absolutely clear. But one of the things I've always felt is one of the silver linings was really the ability to work remotely or having the tools and proving these tools could work. Um, do you agree? And what else would you highlight in terms of benefits or things we've learned, let's say, in these two years? Oh, I think we learned so much, right? Um, the, first, the, the first thing I think, very, very meta level comment, bioengineering is the next digital. You know, <laughs> if you look at what we have seen the virus do, and we didn't understand, right? We had no clue that this thing would alter so many times and eventually it will lose its grip. That's what we have learned, you know, and mm -hmm. probably have seen that in the Spanish flu a hundred years ago, but we were not able to, to predict it coming. So the, my, my right. first thing is um, the world has woken up to bioengineering. And um, we, there's always this discussion, was it planted or not? But I'm afraid the next one will be planted because everybody has understood the power of it. <laughs> Maybe not very optimistic either, but um Bioengineering is the next, for me, the next digital. It will change the world as much as digital has changed the world in the last 40 years. That, that's yeah. my first observation. And the pandemic was a global wake-up call to the powers of, of bioengineering. A, you know, the, the, the virus which 
had its own bioengineering we didn't understand. But then the whole life science industry completely transformed its way of working by producing a vaccine in 12 months. Unheard of. Unheard of, yeah. And, you know, and that is a second learning now. So I think bioengineering will become the new digital in terms of next big thing, which changes the whole world. Secondly, we are not good in changing the way we work in normal times, but when the normal rule set doesn't count anymore because the need for change is so significant or the disturbance is so high, suddenly you see that the world can improve for the better in weeks or days. Remember, we all went home working, no rules, no regulation, the laws weren't made, but- Right, we managed. And uh, it will not come back, by the way. We will not go back to the way the world we have been seen before. Suddenly we saw, we saw basically a modernization of IT infrastructure and the cloud helped a lot, Teams and all the other collaboration tools yep. being picked up without training. You know, the people just started to use them. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, you know, so we have seen what we can achieve if we let a bit go on the framework, which takes out speed everywhere today. Absolutely. And I think that's a huge learning for us. Totally agree. Diversity, everyone talks about it and, you know, we read statistics, but I really have felt, you know, in my discussions with you over time that you really walk the talk. So can you tell us about your experience in this area? What did you do to really champion diversity? Um, let me start this. I, my successor is, is Christina. She's a lady. And she, in, in a series of many people who have been leading our organization here in the region, she's the first female. And, and I think that is an element of diversity by, by grooming the next generation so everybody can basically live up to their own potential and creating the conditions that there is really equality for everyone to have a chance in the race and in the development, for me, that's diversity. Um, creating that, that level of equality and, mm -hmm. and taking, taking basically roadblocks out. And then be above and beyond that, it's very clear that diverse teams and diversity is much more than gender. It is, it's age, it's origin, it's education, it is experience, it's professions. You know, the, the, if, if you're in a transformation business like we have been at Accenture for three decades and the industry has been, you just recognize that diverse teams produce better results because they have more deep and more, more sincere discussions. Can the stuff we are aspiring to do, can that really work? If you have a bench of people which think exactly the same, looks the same and dress the same and the same age and same gender, right? There's only one answer. There are not different answers and there are no better answers. It's just not rich enough. And therefore, I think the idea of, of abundance by having as many different inputs in, in as you can and have a good process to orchestrate that stream is, is a strength and makes an organization more competitive. 
And then I, I bring it then back to gender. Um, Germany, and, and can you know that, you know, we are a global company, we have 600,000 plus people. If we look at the management participation of females in the top ranks, Germany and Japan and Switzerland and a few other countries always rank at the bottom internationally. Mm-hmm. And it was true for Accenture as well. And I said, I'm not doing something else. And my colleague in France, in Italy, in, in, Italy, in, in the Nordic countries, in, in the UK, mm-hmm. and we're doing the same stuff, but we have different outcomes. Same, same pill, different outcomes. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you recognize that you have to do much more because there's a framing of our society. Mindset. Which, which puts in boundaries, which are invisible. And if you do the same, then your peers in other countries, which have a different mindset, they have better outcome for the same input. And therefore we recognize we have to do more to really basically progress. Just doing the same level of effort than our friends in the UK will not get us the same outcome. And that was an, over the years, for me, an, a, a wake up moment. And then we started really to do more mm-hmm. and suddenly you see it works. <laughs> that sounds excellent. Okay, so as you start this whole new career, any regrets, any apprehensions? Oh, no interest, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for 33 years with Accenture. This is part of our normal leadership change. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I leave with a lot of good feelings, pride as well. You know, we build a, we build a big business. Um, and now, you know, I'm for the next 10 years where I probably have some health, hopefully, knock on wood, and some energy and some passion. Um, I want to do something for the country, for the competitiveness of our of our industry of the people in our industry and you know we are not a digital leader in the world so maybe i can help a bit to push that angle that's what i will do and then i am a supervisory board member for dax company and a few others will follow so it will not become boring next we're having the family and we have hopefully have the next generation eventually <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not afraid that um, we are running out of the years and and interesting things to do. No, I I very much doubt that. That that I agree with 100. Okay, one more question, one more personal question. So, do you have any special phrase or watchword or that guides you uh, in your life and what you do? Anything? Yes, I have three words. Life is good. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. Yes, well, I, it, it sounds like life has been good to you, but that's because you're an extraordinary person. I'm, I'm just, I'm still amazed. This is fantastic. What advice? Yeah, it's a bit then? of a mantra, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, with all this experience and all these ideas, what advice would you give to a beginner starting out in the corporate world today? Make sure that you like the team you're working in, and make sure that you are challenged to do a bit more. You know, I, when, I, when I started, 
I was asked to do so, stuff. So don't don't settle for easy is what you're saying, huh? Explain yeah, not yeah, just you know, each of us each of us has potential, and if that potential is challenged, you can do more. One each of us can do a bit more. And if you're starting your career, right, look for the right team and make sure you get the right challenges. Don't don't settle for the easy at the beginning. Absolutely. Okay, that's good. Those are words to live by. I like it. All right. Any final thoughts, any tips or tricks for our listeners, any wisdom you would like to impart? You know, when it, when it comes to digital, the good news in, in this digital world is it's changing so fast. Even you feel you are not at the forefront at the moment, you have a chance to catch up. And the other thing is true as well. If you think you're leading, right? Don't take it for granted. The next technology is around the corner and can kill your business. So uh, if, if you're happy to work in that environment, you're going to have a gorgeous, gorgeous business life. <laughs> yeah. No, don't sit on your laurels. I totally agree with that. I've seen it multiple times. All right. Well, thank you so much, Frank. This was, I, I hate to say, but it was so much fun. So uh, I hope all our listeners enjoy it as well. Thanks to all of you for listening to Digital Dump. Our aim is to tackle the topic of, uh, of technology and different interests uh, in this world today. Digital Dump is now on 10 platforms, including Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you have a topic you'd like to know more about, please let us know. So thanks and bye-bye for now. Bye.